Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own AB Home Interiors in Nashville, Tennessee. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive through a well-designed home. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your environment more mindfully. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month as I journey into the depths of domestic and holistic enlightenment. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Design 101. I'm your host Amanda and today's guest is Libby Wilkie. I'm very excited to have Libby on because like many of us, she is an entrepreneur that has basically dipped her toe in many things and today we're going to find out about just basically what it's like to be an entrepreneur. A lot of times we hear about all of the great successes and all of the great things that we basically get to enjoy as entrepreneurs, but rarely do we get to hear about the downside and the failures. How about the success stories that we think happen overnight that really take about 10 to 15 years to occur? She's at a major crossroads in her life as we speak. She started out in design and then moved into textiles and a couple of other things. Um, Libby has actually been a friend of mine for quite some time. We met through our blog about four years ago and I was surprised to find out that she is going through a major crossroads and transitioning her company in a big way, which is terrifying and also exciting. So basically what her plans are, the things that she's learned over the years, and for those entrepreneurs that are listening today, she's got some special tips on what to avoid. Libby, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Amanda. Glad to be here. Always to chat. Good. good. Well, I'm going to apologize. Uh, Libby and I were just talking before the show here, and uh, she says she can't hear anything, but I've got about a million guys outside my window with mowers and weed whackers and Lord knows what else. So if if that picks up on the recording, I'm just going to apologize now. Amanda. (laughs) So this is a little bit uh, more of a unique interview that I've done. Um, Typically, I've got entrepreneurs or designers on the show that are, um, you know, either on the brink of um, breaking through or they're starting out and about to do something really exciting. And Libby, you're in a little bit of a different position. You're actually at a crossroads and transitioning and changing. So before we dive into all of that, just give us a little bit of background about who you are and and what you do and this amazing journey that you've been on. (laughs) It has been a journey. Um, I was going to say to start out, uh, I, I am a blogger because that is how you and I met. Must be three years ago. And I know we had tried to meet up at the Atlanta Mart, I think, once or twice. That was never possible. Uh, Blogging came into my life about four years ago, and I have just run with it. I love it. I'm about to start the second course from Decorate. Holly Becker uh, runs really the best courses on blogging. So that is what I do with a lot of my time. But that encompasses my entire design background. My blog is called An Eye for Detail, which is really what I try to focus on, uh, on the blog, in my work, in, in almost, I mean, most of my life. Uh, it's the details that matter to me. And well, I think that's true with every designer. I mean, that's what we love yeah. are the details. 
that's it. Whether they're large or small or complicated or simple or whatever. Um, I, uh, I live in central North Carolina, moved down here almost three years ago, uh, where I had lived in the Hudson Valley for 25 years. And we were very, very happy to be down here just south of Chapel Hill. Love it. Love the climate, love the house, the people, everything about it. Couldn't be happier. Yeah, it's a gorgeous but area. in the transition, I did, uh, I was a surface designer. That is my background. Uh, my very first job in the design field was as a colorist for a to-the-trade-only fabric house in New York City. And I went from recoloring fabrics to designing them, stayed there for a while, and then went on to women's wear in New York. And that was really demanding. <laughs> That wasn't quite my thing. And I went back into home furnishings. I worked for freelance, full-time, you know, in studios for, oh, I don't know, five, six years. And then realized that I really wanted to go out on my own. Um, I wanted to freelance. I wanted entrepreneur. Maybe didn't occur to me right then. But I wanted to freelance. And I wanted to be to have the freedom. And so I started doing contract work for different fabric companies in New York. Then I hooked up with an agency where, and licensing was just becoming big. And I created designs and we started licensing them to either, well, I think my first license was for shower curtains and then paper products became very big. Um, and then I sort of thought, well, do I even need an agent? Do I need somebody like this? Uh, I can go out on my own. And I did. And it was, it, it grew. Uh, I, this was back, I guess, in the 80s when I first started going out on my own. Yeah, that was the first question I was going to throw out there is I think we need to back up a little bit here. And, I, you know, licensing is pretty big now and everybody has yes. their own products. Yes. But, I mean, you were really paving the way for a lot of designers who are doing that now. I mean, we're talking late 70s, early 80s, right? Yep. Licensing was a brand new thing. I remember the bedding company. That was it. The bedding company I did, comforter covers and pillowcases on. I think I was the second license that they had ever signed. Um, it, was, it was brand new. We sold designs outright. So for sheeting, um, you know, I'd get paid for the design and that was it. So this was a whole new thing. And it was new territory. Um, everybody was just, you know, getting their feet wet. But it seemed the thing to do because you would do artwork, but you could get a lot of mileage out of it. You could license it to the bedding company. You could license that same design for paper tableware. You could go into rugs, so on and so forth. Um, it's the times have changed. Times have changed. And that design in those days would stay in the marketplace for several years. I mean, sometimes four and five years. Wow. Nowadays, in fact, I was just watching the videos this morning from Smart Creative Women. Monica Lee does a very nice job. And they were saying how the time span for a design has been so shortened. I mean, a paper plate design, one year, and then they move on to something new. So you don't, and I know for the manufacturers, it's a problem. I mean, they're always looking for something new, 
because the retailers want something new because the customers do. I mean, it goes down the line. I would agree with that. I think that the consumer is just that instant gratification and that constant, we need something different. We need something different. Yep. You can't walk into a store and see the same thing that you saw last year. Nobody's going to want it. And it's, it's, it's hard for everybody. Uh, And there is so much design work being put out there every day. So many images. And back when I started, um, that wasn't as true. And also, you have to remember this is this was before computers became really the thing. So now it takes you know half an hour to put a new image out there, to work on it, to finish it and, and get it out on the internet. In those days, you painted it and you finished it and you, the FedEx truck came and they picked it up. And then next day it was delivered to your customer in wherever. Um, and maybe they would fax you something. Faxes were still kind of, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, really, it sounds as though I'm ancient, but I'm not. But um, computers <laughs> have just revolutionized. Well, and I think you made a good point with the computers. I think that just the fact that there's so much information out there now and we have so much access at our fingertips, that has probably, you know, we see something so quickly and it's like within a month we're bored of it. We're like, "Eh, we're on to the next thing now. Whereas like you're talking about that access was not available to us. So it was new and exciting. And I could see where something could still be available two years from now and not everybody would have seen it. Yes, yeah, and you really could focus on something, or as a designer, or as a buyer, as a consumer. Uh, it, it was a very different time uh, timeline. And then the relationship also between fashion and home fashion, women's wear and home fashion. You know, now they're almost simultaneous. And we used to allow about three or four years to, for a women's wear trend to filter down or up, whatever your point of view, to home fashions. And now, you know, within six months, you've got it. If, yeah. if lace, lace is big in, in women's wear, two months later, you're going to see it in the showrooms in Atlanta or, you know, wherever. Amazing. Uh, so when did you decide then to really embrace the idea of becoming an entrepreneur when did that I know you're freelancing but when did you say wow you know I could really make this into a business and be an entrepreneur did you ever have that moment I guess it grew the more the the more clients I had and then I, we left New York City and, and moved up into the Hudson Valley and so I wasn't you know in that mecca anymore um and I had very good stable clients and I I was working from home and I thought, you know, if I really started a design studio and had some other people working with me, think what we could turn out. So, and the big, for me personally, I think the, the real moment came when I felt I could leave my studio in my house, which was nice, and rent a studio downtown. I mean, that was a, that was a big step. And, and about what time frame was this? Is this now like middle to late 80s? 90s. 90s. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, I remember that was the big thing when I was in school is that you had arrived and you had made it if you had a studio. Yes. I mean, that really, you know, a studio at home and clients, I had a couple of them that came to the house and that just didn't, I didn't like that. Um, and then also my daughter at that point was, I, I have one daughter. Um, she was, I'm going to say eight or 10. So 
that was also a big decision because she, of course, couldn't stay home alone after school. So then I knew we would have to hire a babysitter, someone to pick her up and take care of her. So that was kind of, you know, that cost money. But I made it work and I got a studio right downtown. It was only sort of 10 minutes away uh, and had people for her. And it all worked very nicely. And then at that point, I also incorporated. I think that was a turning point um, when I really became official and I had my incorporation documents and I had the accountant and the lawyer and, you know, we all worked on it. And that was in, I would say, 94. can't quite remember. Um, Libby Wilkie Designs, Inc. So how long did you do the design company? So I had that studio until uh, that, well, that one location for 11 years. Wow. So that's a long time. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. Yes. Yes. And uh, it was also an accomplishment, let me tell you. It was a fourth floor walk up. (laughs) Oh, God. Big mistake. For 11 years, we all, and I had two employees, we we all walked up those stairs. (laughs) Um, It was a lovely space. It was the top floor of an old building. And I, at first I started with one room and then somebody else left. And I ended up with four rooms and uh, the artist who worked for me was very good. Then I had somebody to help with the computer work because I didn't, for instance, know Photoshop at that point. I wanted to learn, but I just didn't have time. And she she did all the Photoshop for me. And then eventually she ended up teaching it to me. And I helped myself. I learned every every night I would just go home and for an hour or two, I would just focus on Photoshop. So anyway, I got that one down pat. Um, and we turned out so much artwork. We had clients, uh, went to all the gift shows, which I loved. I mean, San Francisco and Atlanta and Dallas and, of course, New York. Um, That really was one of the the most fun parts of the business was meeting clients at the gift shows, showing the portfolio. Here's what we think, you know, doing a design and uh, spreading it out into eight different products and doing mock-ups. So that's Uh, basically... Your, your firm that you had that you started in 94, yes. it, you are basically focusing on creating designs to license. Is that correct? Yes. We wow. would create a design and then we would sort of blow it out into, let's say, we would do a three-piece paper plate set. Then we would do a ceramic plate, but then maybe something to go with the ceramics, anything, um, serving dish, mug, butter dish, something unusual. Then we might put it on, oh, mock-ups, um, shower curtain with a little uh, rug in front of a shower or bathtub, and we do different things. Um, so what would inspire you? How, how just Walk us through the process of uh, starting from the beginning uh, to to start on artwork, what do you get inspired by seeing something like while you're out and about, or do you look yes. at the current trends? What are what are some things? Walk us through the process of oh. how you would get to the point of A, B, C to a shower curtain. Well, and I, I still, I mean, I even though I'm not actively doing that right now, I am always looking at what is in the market, and I think that is for any designer in any aspect of design. That's what you have to do. You've got to be market savvy. You've got to read constantly. Um, Colors. 
I mean, you know, I would go to all the color seminars, uh, Cotton Ink used to have, I don't know whether they still do, very good, uh, complete uh, color forecasting twice a year. Um, you go to the gift shows, but you read the magazines, you go shopping, you go to Home Goods, you go to Macy's, wherever. And of course, now you have iPhones, you can easily take a picture of anything, but in those days, you could sketch it or you would just remember it. And then you would... You talk to other designers, you talk to the people who work for you, the, you talk to the people who work with you, the manufacturers. You know, they would say, gee, I mean, let's say right now, um, we really think owls are coming in. And in fact, the first manufacturer said that to me was about seven years ago. And I'm like, owls? Here. Isn't that amazing? They're everywhere. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was quite a while ago. I mean, I hadn't even moved down here that we were getting asked for owls. And, you know, we sort of blew it off in the beginning. Owls. Who is going to want owls? Really? And after about a year or two, I think we better do owls. And now look at it five years later. It's interesting to me. Every time I go to the gift show now, um, it used to be like 10 years ago, I would go to a gift show and it might be, say, horses. Now it seems like even every six months when I go to market, there is a new animal theme. Well, Whether it's owls or foxes or seashells or, you know, it seems to always be something. That's true. But on the other hand, what go, I always say this, what goes around comes around. I mean, yeah. that we're in, I just did a blog post um, two days ago on pearls, wearing pearl necklaces and earrings. Um Pearls were very out of style. I mean, I said pearls like dresses. I mean, you couldn't find one in the 90s. Nobody wore that kind of thing. Um, when I was growing up, I mean, pearls were huge. My mother, that is all she wore. And now pearls are back huge. Everybody, whether it's single or double or faux pearls or real or earrings, or they're back. So I love that, that as you get older, you can see these trends that were out of style, they they all come back. Prints, prints at wallpaper. I mean, you, you couldn't, nobody wanted it for many years. Oh, so true. I mean, wallpaper, I remember mentioning it when I first came out of design <laughs> school and everybody was like, oh, God, I'm over it. I don't want any wallpaper. And now it's huge. Right, right. Or I'm looking at my office here, which is um, avocado green. I painted these walls about when we moved down here three years ago. And then I have a steel gray rug, and um, it's very in. in. Um, and sure, what were all the kitchens back in? I don't know when that was, 60s, 70s, avocado. Um, so these things, they all come back. They do. And very funny. I, I enjoy that. Well, I think um, it's really interesting um, to really understand the process. You know, from my perspective, if I go to, say, market, I'm seeing the end product. I yes. had um, really no idea what went into the whole process. So, I mean, you can go there and really appreciate the fact that if you see owls, you know what's what's happened behind the scenes to get that owl on that shelf. It's a long process. Yes, it is. And that, but that's what working with the clients, I guess, is really what I enjoyed too. And um, we had we had very steady clients. I mean, I, I think it has changed, um, but it used to be if you were good, if you had a good personal relationship, it just was. And you could produce the artwork, too. 
um, you would work with someone for 10 years. I mean, I worked with one ceramic company, well, two, two of them for, I would say, 10 years on and off. Wow. So and you would then, you would see what a upcoming trend was, come up with the artwork, uh, a design, say, so to speak, and then say, go to this ceramic designer and say, you know, this would be really great on a butter dish. Yep. Or they would come to me. They would also would be out there looking and then they would have the retail, their customers, the retailers saying, you know, we really need thus and such. Um, so then that would backtrack to me, the design studio. Could you give us three options for tulips, you know, with a ribbon border or whatever? Um, and then we would work that up and we would work it. I mean, some people didn't, but we would work it free of charge. Um, you have to do some spec work. That's the other thing. I mean, I know, well, I can think of one designer I know, but um, who would never do anything on spec. Oh, no, no, I don't do that. you got to pay me for every every time I pick up a paintbrush. I understand that, but you just can't always work that way. Um, and we, we, we didn't. We, we would do things on spec, and we almost always ended up getting a job from those people. Now, I don't know whether that is true anymore. You know, and then you will have the customer who will also use your time. And they will, you know, they need 15 changes and you spend hours doing it and then they end up not taking it. I mean, there is the downside. Yeah, and I think that's the mentality of our economy these days is I think that's happening a lot. Um, where there's the, the, there is a mentality of something for nothing. Like, I need you to do all this work and there's this dangling carrot out there of... Right. Um, well, there might be, you know, 150 uh, yes. butter dishes in your future, but you know, if you could just go Not ahead and do all this, <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. So, um, how long then would it typically take? Uh, say the ceramic company comes to you, says we want tulips with a ribbon. You guys come up with this amazing design. How long would it take from the that beginning initial meeting to say getting it on? Uh, a bowl or a platter is just it seeing it on the shelf and yeah. it it would depend uh, sometimes they would want the complete say 20 piece set of ceramics uh, that we would paint up uh, they might need it in three weeks or they might say no, no no we've got you know two three months then depending on their scheduling and of course it got so that almost everything was made in China so you have a long lead time there um, by the time it maybe in the last few years, it might've shortened, but it could be, it would go to market to be previewed at the trade shows and see what the reception was. That could be maybe five or six months. And then by the time a retailer ordered it and it went into production in China and was shipped over here, it could be at least another six months. So you're it's a long, wow. long. A long time. Anything that's made in this country, I mean, greeting cards that are some, I'm thinking one company was printed here, much shorter. I mean, if you, if you signed a contract in July, it would probably be on the shelf the next winter. Well, I mean, that makes sense if you're ordering it in Detroit, you know, I mean, it's, it's close enough to where you don't have to, you don't have that slow boat from China trying to get products over here. Yeah, it's, it, that, that's, that's tricky. Um, I did in the 90s, because ceramics were really one of our biggest 
uh, products that, that we designed for. Um, we designed for several Italian companies, and then some of them also, another manufacturer here, made them in Portugal. And I mean, they were just lovely. They were just gorgeous. Well, you just don't find that anymore. I mean, I think some of those Italian family firms have closed. They simply can't compete with the Chinese. Yeah, that just really saddens me. I know that when I, um, the very first designer that I ever worked for, I was actually interning with her before I even decided to go to design school. And uh, just the products that she used to have come into her shop, the quality, um, many of the craftsmen she would hire locally or from North Carolina. And people used to really have an appreciation for quality and curating. And we've just really lost that. And that's one of the things that I've really been trying to focus on my blog is just bringing that back. You know, you don't have to completely fill up your space, um, you know, in a couple of months. I mean, spend some time on it and get pieces that you absolutely love. Yeah, I think uh, it, well, we've, we've gone down a road and whether it will come back into the handmade, the appreciation for one of a kind. Um, I do know, I'm naming, but um, in dinnerware, mugs, that kind of thing, there, there is one huge company here that everybody would know. And the president of that company is really focusing on trying to get some things made in the U.S., and they are developing a factory that ha was about to go under in Ohio. And uh, the last I heard, they are bringing it back. Oh, that's fantastic. And, yes. I find myself, I am at estate sales and thrift shops, and I am like on the hunt now for quality, like dishes and cups. And I, I find that I'm almost um, hoarding them now. Like when I go someplace, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's China that your grandmother would only use on special occasions. And I use it every day because it makes me feel special, you know, like uh, little things like that. But my family, they get so sick of watching. Every time we go anywhere, all I do is turn everything over. You know, it's like, mom, will you stop turning over every, see who made it and where it was. Uh, but, and then of course I do, I go to France once or twice a year. Um, and I mean, to see over there, either in the brocante markets, but just the handmade quality of some of the things, it's just wonderful. How can uh, you not appreciate it? You can see and feel such a difference, uh, in the quality and, uh, and know, it's, I mean, it's just a handmade piece. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing like it. So you've been in business for yourself a long time. You've done many yes. different ventures. For somebody who's listening today, um, I actually get emails quite a bit from uh, recent grads, designers, and, and whatnot, artists that are coming out. And they always want to know, like, the best tips starting out if they want to become an entrepreneur. What are some tips that you can offer somebody since you've been doing this for so long? Um, and you've seen so many different changes. Um, what, what are some tips that you could offer somebody that's just starting out? Um, I would say basically <laughs> that just remember it takes a long time. It's, nothing's going to happen overnight. And it's going to take years. And you've got to be willing to put in the hard times with the good times. And you're going to have some real down times, whether it's personally or financially, uh, professionally. But you you just have to stick with it. I mean, it's if you want to be an entrepreneur, then you just that is what you want to be, and you've got to hang in there. 
Um, and then I was thinking about that and <laughs> something that somebody told me years ago, but one key, I think, to running a really good business, this is going to sound, may sound really corny to a lot of people, return phone calls and emails. I am an absolute stickler for that. Now, phone calls, people don't make as much anymore. Um, it's emails. It doesn't take much to return a phone call or an email on the very day that you got it. Don't put it off. And if you do that, I really truly think <laughs> your business will excel and you will bypass all those other people because there's nothing worse than not being answered on a phone, a phone call message or an email. And somebody, somebody told me this years, well, not that many years ago, but he'd gone out on his own. He was an IT person and um, he was working on my computers and he started his own firm up north. And he said, you know, Libby, all I have to do is return the phone calls that people leave on my machine. And I'm going to have a really good business. But he said, no one else does. And amazing? ever since then, I have, and then I watch, I mean, my daughter, you know, she at times looking for a job and other people, younger people. Um, and these resumes now that go out into this black hole. I just don't understand it. It just doesn't take that much to get back to somebody. So that's, sorry, get off my high horse here, but <laughs> that's. Um, but that's very, it's very old school. But in today's day and age, um, I think you make a very valid point with um, sticking with it. We are in an instant gratification society anymore, and kids that are coming out of college are expecting things very quickly and for things to move at a you know a rapid speed. And when it comes to this, it doesn't. It does take time. Um, and I think it's so important. I, I hired my very first business coach uh, four years ago. And I and she was old school. I mean, she wasn't into the blogging and the internet and none of that stuff. She was an old school designer, um, very successful. She teaches at um, Harvard and a couple of other uh, schools up north. Mm -hmm. And that was the very first thing that she said me said to me was that um, pick up the phone. You know, today everybody wants to do the email and the texting and the electronic communication, but you can't convey emotion in that, and people are not accustomed to hearing your voice. Pick up the damn phone. And I'm like, lady, you're crazy. You know, I don't have time to be sitting on the phone for an hour talking to, you know, chit-chatting with everybody. I got shit to do. Revolutionized my business. Revolutionized my business. See, and, and then I was going to say also that in starting out in anything in business, remember that, yes, it's the business, but it's your relationship with people that's going to really last, that in the end, I think, is one of the main features of anybody being happy and being successful. And in whether it's hiring people to work for you, whether it is your customers, or whether, like, you know, you and I here talking, um, in a sense, choose your friends carefully, I mean, in a way. But um, you want people who are compatible. You want to have some sense that you, that you know these people. And I think, um, I was going to say also that when I was in my 20s, before I even got into all this, 
I took career testing. It was three full days in New York City. And it, but it wasn't just career, it was personality. And I still have all the, the data from it. And they compared you to other people in different fields. It wasn't the work, it was the people who were in those fields. And for instance, I scored very low on anything medical. Okay, fine, I knew that. Um, I scored very high in um, anything to do with a library. And I'm like, what? I'm very organized. I like things, you know, according to schedule. I like to get them all categorized. And then design, I scored the highest in, in, in interior and graphic design. I did not score as high in fine art. So there was a real difference. Um, but again, it was the people who were in those. And the guy who led me through these three days said, but whatever you choose, you want to be happy and have a relationship with those people who are in that company. Interesting. So at that point, I was in consumer marketing in New York, and I was very unhappy. And um, So you could really take this information and, and um, have an awareness of the people that are around you and how to surround yourself with the right people. Yep, and that some fields are going to attract people who you will not be compatible with, with whom you will not be compatible. I mean, it just, there are different people. Which brings up, uh, you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and the challenges, you know, that we face uh, often. The big uh, war stories we were talking about before the show started, the big war stories are often what we hear about, but we don't hear about the everyday challenges. What are some things... Um, you know, challenges that you've come up with? What are some things that you have done over the years to just overcome the small challenges? How do you get through a day when you're, you feel like all you're doing is putting out fires and just shit is going wrong? How do you keep your sanity? You have to have a life outside work. You have to. I mean, when you work for yourself, it can become a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. And I, I'm guilty of that many times. But I, I couldn't be. So, you, I mean, I, gardening. I love gardening. And when I'm out there, whether it was up in my house in the Hudson Valley or down here, it's a, it's a wonderful way for me to relax. And I generally do it first thing in the morning, especially down here with the heat, but love it. And it also gives me, I mean, I'm right now I'm looking through the tulip catalogs for the spring. Um, it, it's a whole thing in itself. Um, exercise. So it really gives you an outlet to oh. clear your headspace. And yet it's, um, it's design oriented. You know, I, um, I work with a garden, I work with a garden club here. I edit the newsletter. I, in fact, I produce the whole newsletter for them. Um, I think up stories, I do book reviews, um, all on gardening, but it draws on my design background. Definitely. And it certainly draws on my Photoshop skills. I mean, to put out a newsletter, um, but then also exercise. I think, uh, I mean, I'm, I am a big exerciser, I have to say. I'm um, working with a trainer now, but I've always, since 1990, I don't know, gone to the gym two or three times a week. And uh, lately, <laughs> lately, I've been swimming a lot. And I mean, you know, I am not a swimmer. Believe me, I'm not a swimmer. <laughs> I don't like water. I, I'm not a swimmer. But I can't tell you what it does. 30 minutes in that pool, just... Mm, I love it. I love yeah. it. 
And I think that that's important for everybody. Everybody just has to find what their thing is. Like I worked out for years and I was like, eh, it's okay. And then I started doing yoga a couple years ago and it was like the angels were singing. I was like, oh dear God, why have I not been doing this? See, and yoga isn't for me. Yes. Everybody has a different, um, everybody has a different outlet, but I agree with you. I think it's imperative that you have something that clears your headspace and allows you to step outside of your day-to-day because it will consume you and when you get into that all-consuming um you lead it leads you to burnout you just you get to the point to where you're not as passionate about it and as soon as you learn lose that passion um you're not as effective and you're not as good at your job and your 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 work will really be sacrificed and i um, I mean, through all this, I have had my husband who is always behind me, but he's always there also to say, wait a minute, step back from this. I mean, he, he's very good at seeing the, the big picture. Um, he doesn't really help me, help me with my business, but um, when I have problems, he will. And he'll say, just step back from it. It's not so important. Just forget it. You know, the world is not going to stop because, you know, some client didn't call you back. Um, Well, I have a great analogy for that. And I've said this before on the podcast. Often when you're an entrepreneur, you're the one playing the basketball game. You're down there on the court, you're playing, and your support system is up in the bleachers. They're looking down at you and they're watching you make the successes and the great passes. And they're also seeing you make the bad passes. uh And you can't see the forest for the trees because you're in the game. That's it. So you have to look to your support system because they're the ones on the outside looking in and they can see everything. And and their perspective is much more broader than ours. So take that to heart. Listen, because it will be valuable. Even if they don't know about truly what you're doing, they have enough knowledge to know what you're doing. And even, I mean, there, there have been some people throughout my career who've been, they didn't really know it, but they were mentors. And uh, there's, there's one person right now. I mean, I can call her about anything and she, she is in the industry, but it, so we're doing different things right now. Um, and I think each of us feels that we could get an honest answer from the other one. You have yep. to have a soundboard. You yep. have to, whether you have a business coach or yes. a mastermind it, you know, I never, right. that's probably the biggest mistake that I made in my career is that starting out, I, I didn't. Not that I didn't really believe in that, but I thought, eh, you know, I I don't need to be spending money on that. I, I need to focus on the, the business. And um, I got my first business coach four years ago, and I can't believe that I didn't do it sooner. Wow. I think wow. that it's um, it's that outside perspective. It's somebody who's been there, done that. Um, they okay. often have skill sets and tools. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so... Um, and it's a different skill set. Yes. I mean, yeah. or- something they can bring to you. Um, and sometimes, you know, like my very first business coach, the, the old school gal, she was so expensive. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I just invested in this old gal who doesn't even know what a blog is. What on God's green earth am I doing? And that nugget of information uh, about picking up the phone was worth every penny because it completely revolutionized my career. That's interesting because I, I did start with a coach. Oh, it's been many years now. But um, and she had me, she had an assignment for me after about, I don't know, our third hour or something that we asked was so expensive and that I had to 
give back to her the next week. And it was, it was instrumental. I can't, I mean, I'd never thought of my business that way. She just, I had to make a list of these certain things and, and this and this. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, there are back in my uh, career counseling in New York. Um, one of the questions, which was a take home at night and I had to fill out certain forms was what did you do your summers in college? Well, I never thought much about it. I mean, I got through college. Um, sure enough, it triggered the second and third summer, I think, in college. I worked for an interior decorator, and I'd always wanted to do that, always. Huh. But I was disillusioned by it, and, I, and her and the way the office was run, and it just kind of turned me off. And so I never really thought about it again, and this was about eight years later, until that question. And it triggered, and I thought, oh, my goodness, there you've got it. Yeah. And, I mean, I thought at that point it would be interior design. And it, it, it started down that road, but um, then I saw all these people painting little designs, and that's what I went for. One thing led to another. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I yes. think that, you know, coaches and mentors and masterminds, you know, I, I used to really underestimate their value and think that, you know, oh, it's for the birds, and it's all a bunch of hype, and they're, you know, they're just, you know, charging a bunch of money for unnecessary things that yes. I already know. Yes, right. <laughs> right. I mean, there are, there, there is that aspect to it, that one can put a lot of money into these people and not get much out, but um, a good one is worth a lot. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're worth their weight in gold because, yes. you know, it's that one little tidbit or it's that uh, my, yeah. my coach that I worked with last year talked about the 15 degree shift. That was his big thing that you're plodding along, you're plodding along and you feel like a failure. You feel like you're doing everything wrong. You've been at it for 10 years. Nothing's happening. And a lot of times it's because you're in that basketball game and you mm -hmm. don't have somebody on the outside looking in saying, you just need to do this 15 degree shift instead of passing to this person maybe you should pass over here and that one shift changes everything mm. and that's what a coach will do is they will shed yeah. the light on something that's right in front of you but you're not seeing it that's interesting yeah yeah, yeah. so what are some things to avoid as an entrepreneur in your opinion what would what would be some things to avoid or things that you've learned that you wouldn't do again Oh my, um, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I guess I, I was impatient. I think there's that. And I would give up on certain, certain things. I would, I would walk away from a client, a deal, a product, uh, a person, if it didn't fall into my immediate sort of realm of understanding and I think one has to be ready to go outside the box, sort of, in, in, in your field. Um, maybe listen to a new way of presenting to customers. Maybe I, I would stick with something too long. I think, I think being adaptable is, is, is necessary when you're working for yourself. When you're working for a local company, you may not have that option. But I think for yourself... Just always be ready, as well as you say, 15% 15-degree shift. I mean, always be ready to try something else to make it work or to make something better or to make somebody happier, one of your clients. Yeah, I think those are two very valuable tips, adaptability, flexibility, and also patience. Have to be patient. 
Yeah, it's hard. Because there's a lot that they don't. I remember a couple years ago when I had my studio, I had a very demanding male client, and he was a um, powerful executive. And the only way that he really knew how to get shit done, basically, is is by pushing his weight around and pushing his power around and yelling and screaming. And so... um, you know, my, my girl that's working for me, Elizabeth, she was my assistant at the time. And, you know, we go out and we do the installation. And um, he was unhappy because the trucking company had lost one of his chairs. Totally out of my control. I did everything in my power yeah. to do the damn thing yeah. there by the party. I couldn't do it. <laughs> He's screaming and yelling and pushing his weight around. So I'm just sitting in the chair, letting him do his thing. And he was getting upset because I wasn't responding to him. Right, and I'm right, like, right, I right. don't respond to this. Get, and yeah. my poor little gal, Elizabeth, is just shaking in her boots. And she's <laughs> like, I'm going to go stand outside. They didn't teach us this in, you know, in design school. I don't know how you're doing this. <laughs> no, no, they don't teach you all this stuff. You got to win it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that was, you know, well, that's something that's that I just learned over the years is that you have to have patience. You're, there are a lot of things that they do not teach you in school and you learn in field experience and you, you cannot be reactive. You know, you just have to have patience and understanding and understand where these people are coming from. Um, you know, it'll, it'll people skills are very, yeah, people skills are very important, but then I think also the adaptability, um, ability to change and to maybe, you know, morph into something a little different from what you were doing. I'm, I'm thinking now what I'm doing right now is kind of, I'm at a crossroads. Um, so one has to be willing to maybe lay low for a while and well, let be accepting be- of criticism. I think that's a really big thing that um, uh, if hard. something is not working um, and your support system is saying, hey, you know, it's probably because you're doing this or, you know, maybe your partner is causing you this or, you know, you have to be willing to accept that other people can see things that you might not be able to and don't be combative or defensive of that be yeah able to... that's tricky yep yep and right now yes i mean my my business um is changing uh our, our import business will be closing down and um but that's okay it, it's okay i mean it you know at first it's like oh my um a disappointment of course, but then you move on to something else, and there I have several other things, you know, in the works. Um, I'll never stop; <laughs> it'll keep going, and and through it all, also the blog. The blog is very important for me. Yeah, well, and I think it's so important, you know. Um, and you and I have talked about this with the just all of the changes that's going on with the economy and our businesses, and you know, I've been going through big changes. But the one thing that I can honestly say is that. I do feel like in many ways I'm starting over. I'm, I'm changing the direction of my company as well. But I feel like I'm so much more prepared because I have so much more knowledge than I did when I first started out. Oh, that is, yes. I mean, the older we are, the more we've been through. Uh, the more it's not as scary, you yep. know. And uh, you, tend to it, it will be okay. You know, the bottom's not going to drop out. I'm, I'm all right. And I am who I am. And look what I have done. Yeah. I mean, you've accomplished a lot. That would be my, um, one of Mm -hmm. my burning questions is, what would you say was one of your biggest failures or something that you regret? And what would you say is one of your biggest accomplishments? Um, Failures, I would, 
sort of ongoing um, oh, gosh. <laughs> personality flaw. Um, I am, I'm very scattered and I tend to, I have trouble focusing on one project. You have bright, shiny object syndrome. Yeah. That's the number one <laughs> trait of an entrepreneur. Um, I will have 10, I'm looking at my office right now. I mean, 10 different projects going. Whether they're, you know, I've got the paints out there and then I've got this crafting and then I've got it, it just. And, ding, ding, entrepreneur alert. <laughs> yep, yep. And it's hard. It's hard. And then my husband will come back here and say, why don't you just finish this one thing? That's but why I've we can't all, work for people. because that, That's it. I guess I've always been this way. Yep. And um, but my sister's not that way at all. And this is me. And I have to accept it. But I can try to, you know pull it in and, and try to focus on a few things every day or make my list. But I think that just for me personally is, um, has been an ongoing sort of struggle trying to focus on something. When I had a studio with employees, I could kind of get by. It, it was much easier because they could take up the slack or we had a white chalkboard and, you know, every day we check everything off that we've done for customers. Um, so that's, that's something that I have to deal with. Um, and was your, what's my greatest success or what do I feel? Yeah. Was what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? What are you most proud of? Um, in, I mean, I'm proud that I did this and I have to bring my daughter into this again. She will say to me, mom, you know, nobody else that I know has a mother who has done this kind of thing. You were totally on your own. And you really made it work. You're and, a renegade. I mean, my God, to do all that in the 80s is amazing. Well, it was different. Um, and to do this, and people are like, product design? What's that? Service design? You know, I mean, most people don't know what and it people is. People need to understand that the landscape for women was entirely different in the 80s for women. Yes. Yep. I remember my mom when she got divorced in 1984 with me, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember her trying to get a house and buy a car, and she couldn't because she didn't have a husband. So we're talking this is in the 80s, folks. I mean, that wasn't too far or long ago. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I, I was always going to work, but I was working at home. Um, and I really, at that point, I mean, I didn't want a full-time job. I knew I didn't want a full-time job. And I also knew, for me, that I couldn't leave my child every day. That I mean, I millions of people do, but um, and I understand if one absolutely you know, you have to, but I did have somewhat of a choice, it was very important for me to be there, and but it was hard because you've got you can't just work when you have a child in the house and then you have laundry in the kitchen or all, all that goes with it. So, but I made it work, I did it. Um, it is possible, and I, and I think that's important for any women that are listening. Um, you know, that's think, something that's yes. very important here in the South is family values and, and mm -hmm. um, family comes first. So I think it's important to say that it is possible if you do have a dream or if you do want to um, do something with design or creativity and you have a small child, it is possible. It's not, not going to be hard, but it is possible. Right. It's, it's very tricky and you, you've got to, you know, you got to work it. But it's also not going to be easy to go back to work full time and have, um, you know, outside child care, no matter what you choose. Yeah, um, there's there, going to there, be challenges. Right, right. So what's next for you? What are some of your goals? What are you um, planning in the, putting in the fires? 
Well, our import business, Provence Rugs, um, will be winding down. We will be, in fact, tomorrow or the next day announcing that we're, we're going to be closing the shop. Um, everything is 50% off, if anybody's interested. <laughs> Woohoo, sales. Um, but I'm going to be going from there. I have other products that I'm working on right now. I also, I really pretty much stopped painting um, about three years ago with the move and then I just wasn't doing it. I was representing a couple of artists and uh, there just wasn't time. I've missed it. So I have actually gotten my paints out, uh, my papers, my all my brushes, everything. So I've started painting again and for not just I mean, fine art painting, but painting for products that will maybe go on the market. Awesome. So I'm very, um, I'm excited about that and it just makes me feel good. It really does. Um, I'm glad to be back doing it, but I'm still, as I say, always looking at what's out there. I, every day online, I'm reading magazines. I mean, you know, the stack just grows, um, tearing out sheets, putting things in my Evernote file, uh, Pinterest, always take, taking my ideas and seeing what I can do with them. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at and you know in six months um, I will probably have something new to announce to everybody. Fantastic well I cannot believe it but I, I should because I knew that we would be able to blow through this thing we're actually uh, at an hour now I, um, oh my. I, know you're talk I know can you believe it I knew it was going to happen though it's just like you and I chit chatting we like to chit chat um, yeah we do we have um, to meet in Atlanta sometime I think I'll be there in January Amanda. Uh, I, yeah I might be going in January um <laughs> I've got to figure out, I'm, uh, I mentioned about my coach earlier and I might be going to see her in January. So I'll have to figure out what that, when that lands, but, okay. um, but yeah, um, you mentioned your blog a couple of times. It's a fantastic blog and, uh, you always have fantastic articles on different things. So <laughs> I think it's important to, um, sure. let people know about that so that if they want to visit it, they can. So what's your blog? Yes, the, the blog the blog is called an eye for detail, but the the website the URL is libbywilkydesigns.com. It's fantastic. I love it. Well, thank you for agreeing finally to do this, this was podcast fun. with me. This I was have, fun, Amanda. I, uh, I have been trying to woo Libby now for <laughs> probably a year to come and do this with me. So thank you for finally agreeing to do it. It was so fantastic to chat with you. You're very welcome, Amanda. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. bye. I've said it before. When it comes to business, some of the biggest hurdles we have to overcome is ourselves. Being an entrepreneur has a lot of perks, but there is that defining moment when things really go wrong and it becomes real. You are in charge and you have to make shit happen. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it's up to you. I want to dedicate Libby's tips for entrepreneurs that are just starting out to one of my listeners, Tyler Nottingham of Brown Dog Lighting Designs. He is an avid listener of the show and like many entrepreneurs out there, he is just getting started with his works of art. His shades and lamps are all handmade with bare finished metals which really have great detail. Like many entrepreneurs that are starting out, he works full-time at another job as a metalsmith restoring vintage cars and other uh, things with metal. But his hobby has become his passion. FYI, 
You can find out more about his products on Etsy at Brown Dog Lighting. If you haven't checked him out yet, I would definitely recommend it. Remember that it takes time to build your empire. Take the good with the bad and always be flexible because I guarantee you the direction you thought you were going rarely is where you end up. In Uncertainty, a book by Jonathan Fields, he discusses the importance of mentors and coaches. And while I do think it's imperative to have someone lead you down the right path, you cannot do it alone. You always need additional support. What Jonathan calls a champion. That champion never stops believing in you. Even when your finances, family, or even your kidneys are at stake, you have to have somebody in your corner. I want to thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Amanda, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. If you would like more information on this show or have questions or comments, email me at info at abhomeinteriors.com. You can also visit the blog at abhomeinteriors.com forward slash blog or find me on Twitter at the Amanda Gates. Bye for now.